0: I've broken down the text tonight into four sections, and uh, you know, if you haven't come to our study in a while, this is not meant to be the most exhaustive uh, study uh, you'll ever find. We want to go through the Book of Romans, we want to uh, chop it up and learn some things, but at the same time, we also want to uh, make some progress through. But if you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time in God's Word, Grace Freely Given. Grace Freely given. We'll look at four sections. Uh, The first clarification, where Paul clarifies some things at the beginning of this chapter, which even Christians need clarification about what Paul's clarifying. Because if you've ever read this for the first time, especially if you're newly saved, you'll it'll go fly over. You're like, what in the world? Uh, That was like an enigma wrapped inside a riddle, right? So, clarification number two: condition. He speaks about the condition of the world, the condition of every human heart. Uh, Number three, compassion. Looking at the condition of the world, what did the Lord provide for this deplorable and hopeless condition? So number three is uh, compassion. Number four, confirmation. He gets uh, at the end of the chapter, he gets into why boasting is never going to be something a Christian will ever be able to do uh, based on the faith that they have received. So Again, our title tonight, Grace Freely Given, yeah, Titus 2.11. Matter of fact, uh, I was working yesterday to kind of put the last finishing touches on our website, which looks really good, by the way, if I do say so myself. Uh, I think you're going to like it. Uh, it's got, I, I think it's really clean, straightforward. We've got a little bit work on getting the sermon uh, streaming audio uploaded, but uh Aside from that on the home page you'll actually see I actually have Titus 2.11 right at the top For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men I love that verse Because it speaks to every single person on planet earth That grace, the grace of God has appeared to not some men But all men And it brings with it salvation That grace brings with it salvation And so this grace freely given that Paul speaks of uh, in this chapter is what we want to focus on, but to understand it, we want to look at, see, what is he clarifying to start out with? In the first few verses here, there's three things. Uh, the first one that Paul clarifies is the gifts that were given to Israel are significant, and they're an immeasurable blessing. Um, Jesus came first to the Jew, right? He, came to the, he said he came to the household of Israel, even the scriptures say, from Jerusalem first, then to Samaria, on to the uttermost. Uh, All of the things that were given to Israel um, were in the book of Exodus. We're right there where these things are being given. Right now, we're seeing God's given the blueprint for the tabernacle, right? Uh, They, uh, of all, should know about the holiness of God. They should know about the mercy seat the necessary now later the writer of hebrews will talk about without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin that wouldn't have been a new concept that was already given a long time ago wasn't it that the blood had to be sprinkled there on the mercy seat so uh, the gifts that were given were very very precious because they pointed to messiah and that didn't escape everybody moses understood that Aaron understood that, Joshua understood that, Caleb understood that, right, Samuel understood that, David understood it, of course, David writes the 22nd Psalm, which is messianic in and of itself, Isaiah understood it, so they didn't, just because Jesus hadn't come yet, those in the old, the saints in the Old Testament that were looking to Messiah could see in the gifts God had given, the the, the law itself, the Ten Commandments, The mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, all of those things, right? The shedding of blood, the Day of Atonement, right? All these things we talked about on Sunday. These were very significant. And Paul says they were very precious and they're not at all uh, unprofitable. Even circumcision in and of itself is the cutting away of sin, right? That God would actually cut away that which uh, we're born with a condition, right? So God has to cut away that sin condition. So all of these things when looked at through a spiritual lens, if the children of Israel were listening to the right prophets. Remember, they would actually later, with Jesus' ministry, they would raise up, and we're of Moses. It's like, if you're of Moses, you'd hear me. (laughs) You know, Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. All all the people you want to bring up, they all look to my day. But you reject, because they actually understood that all of the things that were given... In the Tanakh, in the Torah, what we call the Old Testament, these things were pointing to, and we're going to get it before we get done here tonight, even these things included or pulled in the Gentiles. It weren't just for, Israel was to be what? A light to the world. They were supposed to take these things. If you and I take all the truths that God gives us and we apply them in our life, they're quite valuable. If we take the things God gives us and chuck them out the window, it doesn't mean they weren't valuable. It just means that we missed and wasted, right? If I give you, you know, what Paul said, if I give you a coin, if I give one of the two-year-olds downstairs a gold coin, and they don't know what it is, and they just go and throw it in the trash can like it's a cookie, it didn't mean it wasn't valuable. It means they had no comprehension of its value. And these are the way that God gave the children of Israel things of credible value. The fact that they didn't always understand the value. They didn't throw them all out. As a matter of fact, Paul's writing to people that actually followed some of these things quite to the letter, but they didn't understand what they were following. They didn't see it in the person of Jesus Christ. We'll get to that. Number two, one of the things he clarifies is what the world system manufactures, or even, quote-unquote, the church manufactures, And believes in, if it's contrary to God's word, it's irrelevant. Paul said, if, let let, uh, God be true, let every man be a liar. See, God is not moved by what people think or what popular opinion is, nor should we be. Amen? God's not the slightest bit moved by, oh no, society doesn't believe this is biblical, or doesn't believe that this is still from the Lord doesn't change God at all. And it shouldn't change those of us who believe in him. Spurgeon says this, uh, he says, it is a strange, strong expression, but it is none too strong. If God says one thing and every man in the world says another, God is true and all men are false. God speaks the truth and cannot lie. God cannot change. His word, like himself, is immutable. We are to believe God's truth if nobody else believes it. The general consensus of opinion is nothing to a Christian. He believes God's word. He thinks more of that than the universal opinion of man. If the entire world believes that we came from a monkey, I will not believe that. How about you? Of course, I thought it was dumb the first time I ever heard it, and no one really had to explain it to me. But it doesn't matter if the whole world believes thus and so. God says... Satan's a liar. He's the father of lies. And if everybody else wants to believe his lies, they can. But my word still remains true. And there's certainly been times, imagine if you were living in the days of Noah. Talk about a rare opinion of God. What about Noah and his family? You have an entire world is populated by that point. Because people were living to be 900 and some years. We don't know how many people were on the earth, but we know it was a lot. The whole world, none of the world believed God. And they actually had Adam and others not too you know, far removed to say, look, I, <laughs> you're talking about a couple hundred years. Adam is still around and telling people, I was created by God, and they still refuse to believe a single thing about him. Or if they do believe it, they choose to reject it, but nevertheless. So Noah had this, he had to say, God is true. It doesn't matter truly, in his case, if the entire world disagrees and the entire world disagrees. You think we're in a minority today. We've never been in a position like Noah and his family. Look at verses 5 and 7. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. What Paul's saying here when he says, I speak as a man, he's saying these are the kind of arguments a man would make. Saying this is the kind of argument a man would make that uh, uh, God is unjust in judging. Because even uh, specifically, a lot of uh, folks that were raised in the synagogues and understood some of the Bible stories understood that in the Old Testament, you've seen this many times, how many times did God turn something bad into something good in the Old Testament? It's like this, It's like almost every story, right? If you don't believe me, go back and reread them, and you'll find that he turns almost every everything around. And we get the first concept of that Joseph uh, mentions that in Genesis chapter fifty. What you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? So you know they're saying, if God turns everything for good anyway, how in the world? Should, why should you judge me? He makes everything good anyway. And Paul's saying, well, that's really not the issue. You're going to be judged on what you've done, not just because God will turn. Yes, he will turn. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. True, but that doesn't mean we go out and do bad (laughs) so God can turn turn it into good. We'll still be held accountable. We'll still be judged, even for our secret thoughts for those that are unsaved. Those of us who are saved... Thankfully, we won't be saved uh, judged for our secret thoughts. Uh, we'll be covered in the blood of Jesus. But the third piece, uh, the third thing that he clarifies here, the first was the gift to Israel are significant. They're not insignificant just because Gentiles are now getting saved. Paul's like, don't be don't be misunderstood. Just because Gentiles are now coming to Christ, it doesn't make obsolete or unimportant the things that were given to. The Jewish nation. Still important stuff. And Paul's like, it will, and that's why I was preaching on Sunday. Those things come alive in the new covenant, don't they? They don't go away. They are better understood. And they actually enrich our faith. They actually strengthen our faith. So they're still going to be important, but Paul can't get to that until he gets to some other root problems. Number two, again, the world system may, might manufacture something, but that doesn't mean that it has any movement on us, whatever they manufacture. Number three, He says this in verse 8, and why not say, let us do evil that some good may come as we are already slanderously reported. As some affirm that we say. Some are walking around saying, Paul and them teach this doctrine. Their condemnation is just. Now Paul says they're condemned at that current state. If they don't repent, they're in a state of condemnation and it's just because they're actually attributing the work of the Holy Spirit, to something that's satanic, something that's false, something that's not true. So the third point, false and slanderous witnesses have tried to corrupt the message and ministry of Paul and those serving with him. So these false messages have gone out uh, saying that Paul and them would teach something, uh, basically saying that Paul and his fellow servants You've got people like Timothy and Barnabas and others that have traveled with Paul. And so they're saying, look, his, uh, Paul's saying that God authorizes that sinful living because God's will will still be accomplished. No matter how evil you live, God's will will still be accomplished. That is true, right? No matter how much evil is taking place in the world, will God's will still be accomplished? Absolutely. So that, that is a true statement. But here's where uh, they start to actually twist Uh, and they would go on to say that Paul teaches. Now, this is either to fully discredit Paul or just kind of bring more people into a false doctrine, that Paul teaches that as much evil as you do, it just brings glory to God. And that they were saying Paul teaches that. Um, They had no YouTube clips of what Paul would actually say, so whatever you said, it was his word against their word. So no punishment would actually be given by God is what they were saying that Paul was saying uh, because we essentially help God's plan by doing evil and God actually turning it to good. And again, that's Paul had already mentioned that just a couple of verses earlier, but now he's saying that people actually say that he teaches this, which is absolutely false. Paul would never teach that, that uh, doing evil would actually help God's plan. Yeah, you know, false religions, they come up with some weird stuff, don't they? And I, it's hard to believe that people buy into the things that they come up with, but it only is because the heart is always intent on looking for something that satisfies the lust of the flesh. And if someone will actually come along and tell you, hey, i got really good news. You can live as evil as you want, and here's the cool thing. God still turns it into something beautiful. Really? All you got to do is believe in Jesus. You, but you can go live any way you want. Uh, is that... I don't think that's what Paul... No, that's what Paul teaches. Really? Because I I thought he wrote a letter to so-and-so, and and I don't remember hearing that. (laughs) You just... You didn't read his other letter. The unpublished one. Right? And so people were actually maligning the ministry. You know, Paul writes about this in in, uh, Philippians as well. You know, just the the maligning of the ministry. But um, this happens to every ministry, I believe... Uh, I believe it happens to every ministry uh, that ever seeks to glorify Christ and preaches the true and living gospel. I believe this will always happen until Christ comes back. Every ministry, I mean every ministry, at some point in time, if you preach the true and living gospel, you do not compromise the word of God, you actually are going to stick by it. Someone will malign the ministry and they'll be used as a pawn by the enemy or they're actually doing it on purpose Either way, there's always going to be a malign in the ministry. Proverbs 6.19, you know the sixth thing God hates? Yes, seven are an abomination. That's because the sixth one is actually a two-parter. That's why it says that. But anyway, 6.19, in Proverbs, it says, A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates that. And that's what these false, slanderous reports were doing. They were sowing discord, and they were actually manipulating the actual true message that was actually being uh, taught and discipled to the believers there in the Mediterranean uh, areas where Paul had gone. but um, interesting thing, though, as preachers now I could say preachers specifically, people like myself, or I could say preachers, in a more general sense, all of us that preach of the gospel with our lives and our lips. Uh, but if I just apply it to me for a second, though I think it's just definitely applicable to all of you as well, uh, but preachers of the gospel were told to protect the flock, right? We're told to protect the flock from wolves. Now, wolves are those, Paul, will, Paul speaks of that in the book of Acts, uh, wolves are those that come into the fellowship. They come into the fellowship. You wouldn't let a wolf come into your own house, Right? Hey, we're going to let so-and-so move in. They're going to teach our kids uh, to be devil worshipers, and we're fine with it. No. Well, we wouldn't allow it in the church either. So wolves come in. We're supposed to protect from that. And then you have false prophets or false ministries. They're not necessarily a wolf coming in. They're a lot of times just ministries that are out there all over the place, all the United States, regional, international. Um, but... When you have false ministries, wolves, slanderous, you have uh, the fact that we're supposed to protect from these things. But the question is, how do you know who's telling the truth sometimes? Right? How do you know? Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Paul, Peter, Jude, and of course Jesus himself, do you realize they all pointed out false prophets? In numerous cases, in, in a number of cases, by name. Not always by name, but sometimes by name and sometimes not by name. Sometimes it's just a recounting of Jesus with a group of religious Pharisees or scribes. And so you'll see the confrontation of the men of God in the Bible and the false, the wolves, the false prophets, Right? You see it all through the scriptures. But how do you know who's telling the truth? Paul's clearly telling the truth. But if someone's reading the letter, how do they know who's telling the truth? Jesus said that the scribes and the Pharisees were of their father, the devil. They said that Jesus preached through the power of Beelzebub and did his miracles. So now we have both sides saying that the devil is behind both ministries. Now, we actually know this one's a pretty easy one, isn't it? Whose ministry was from God? We know that it was Jesus. But again, both sides said the exact, a little different twist on it, but they said the same thing. Devil ministry, devil ministry. Um, Jeremiah and Moses, they both had accusers. They're not the only ones, but it's just two by example. Jeremiah and Moses both had accusers who said the Lord was with them. And Moses and Jeremiah basically said, no, he's not. He's with us. So you've got both sides. That, and all sides are claiming to be religious and holy and spiritual. Welcome to America in 2013, right? It's not just here. It's around the world. And so you have to be really careful. I don't go around. I don't go around uh, on a witch hunt for false ministries. But I actually won't hesitate to actually call something false if I see it. Call it false. And the way here's the here's the simple thing. The way you can know which one's true and which one's false is first of all you have to know the whole counsel of God, right? Because false leaders usually take a little snippet. Remember, they didn't twist all of what Paul said. They would have said, you need Jesus. You just don't need to do anything other than live any way you want. You believe in him, you're good to go. Do whatever you want. Your evil will be turned to good. So false teachers, they take a slice of the Bible, whereas the truth looks at the whole counsel of God. Right? Right? And that's the thing you've got to look at, number one thing, is what's the whole council going The other thing is that the true men of God won't compromise the Scriptures. They would lovingly forgive anybody of anything. Even some of the false teachers that are out there, and some of them are quite false. If they were to repent, I'd be the first one to welcome them. How about you? We're not looking to exclude or keep out. We want all to come to repentance. Um, but again, slander will come against any ministry. If, if, uh, if you've never heard of this ministry, Calvary Chapel Richmond, slandered, maligned, or gossip, give it time. Give it time, because as long as we're going to preach the truth, somebody will have to come against it, because Satan's always out there trying to sow discord. We're not immune to this stuff. He's going to do that everywhere. There's always going to be someone out there with a little gossip in your ear, and then you have to test, is the love genuine? Is the word genuine? Is the whole counsel of God genuine? And if you see those things, you can reject, especially if someone comes to you with gossip, you already know they're coming with sin. It's all over their lips. It's like a two-year-old with lipstick, right? Got into mom's purse, right? Before they even say it, you already know where they've been. Let's look at the next thing, condition. Paul clarifies these things, clarifies A, that be aware of the false stuff, and he talks about again these type of uh, views that either the things given to Israel don't matter anymore living righteous doesn't matter he clarifies all those things but then he goes into starting verse 9 what then are we better than they again he's mostly speaking to the Jewish community primarily not at all for we have uh, these are again pri- the most of the roman Church here is, is, is uh, born-again uh, Jews. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, they're all under sin. Again, that was charged in Romans 1 and Romans 2. That's the initial start off of the letter. And I'm certain it was, it was conveyed to the church, passed through others that have come through Rome, that had Paul had, hey, when you're in Rome, make sure you teach them this. When you're in Rome, make sure you teach them that. You know, they, so they had heard these things, but they have the letter. But the condition... It's pretty, uh, it's pretty grievous, isn't it? None righteous, no, not one, goes all the way down. Throats are an open tomb. Uh, their feet to shed innocent blood. Uh, destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. I mean, it sounds like a description of the Antichrist, and of course it is. The Antichrist system will embody all of this. You don't want to be here. Remember here in the prophecy here? You do not want to be here for the Antichrist system. Everything you see right here is the embodiment of a satanic leader that will lead the world into destruction. One of Satan's names. Destruction. A murderous, deceitful, immoral, wicked, fallen world, which it already is, but someone's going to say, hey, let's even go 10 acts worse than we've ever been before. The condition is grievous. First uh, John 2.16, uh, John writes, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. So anything not of the Father is incredibly corrupt. And we're born not of the Father, aren't we? We were made in the likeness and image of God, but unfortunately after sin, we're not in God. We're apart, we're estranged from Him, so the same evil condition that the rest of the world's in, we're in it too at birth. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's everybody's heart. Even the kindest, sweetest old lady you've ever met. Right? We've all met people that we're, we even have a hard time convincing ourselves that they could be wicked. But the the thing is, if... if Put in other conditions, they might be a lot worse, right? But they still have sin. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, God sees the thought life. Even even people that look so perfect, we know they're not. Uh, violence, you look at the um, some of the list here. Uh, feet swift to shed blood. I mean, this goes all the way back to Cain killing Abel. I was just reading in the news today uh, out in... Out in Santa Cruz, California, I know two police officers, what it was yesterday, I think, they were shot and killed just going to a home to, to interview a former Starbucks barista uh, who was accused of uh, inappropriate conduct with a female employee that she didn't invite. And uh, uh, so this guy killed the two police officers, came there to do just a little follow-up on the case, waiting for them in cold blood, Got both, one officer had three children, the other officer had female officer with two children, male officer, male detective with three children, killed in cold blood. And then I read this, it said the shootings came amid a recent spike in assaults. This is all in the Santa Cruz area. The recent violence included the killing of a 32-year-old martial arts instructor who was shot outside a popular downtown bar and restaurant, the robbery of a student at the University of California, Santa Cruz, who was shot in the head, a 21-year-old woman who was raped and beaten on the UC campus, and a couple who fought off two men during a home invasion. That's just Santa Cruz. That's not Chicago. That's not Detroit. That's not Las Vegas, which had its own uh, headlines not just last week, but all year so far in 2013. Vegas has been a spate of violence. And so we see the calamity and the destruction that follows, and Satan loves it, doesn't he? He's built these empires of wickedness, and people are dying, innocent people, and Paul's like, this is the condition of the world. And why is the primary condition? Look at the 18th verse. There's no fear of God before their eyes. They really don't believe. People that are lost and don't know the truth have not yet humbled themselves they do not believe that god's going to hold them accountable i mean i saw a kid is in the news today a kid in atlanta decided he wanted to get out of the gang he was shot 15 times because he wanted to get out he said hey i want to live straight i don't want to live by crime anymore 19 years of age he was shot 15 you know what the amazing thing is he's alive only god can do that it is appointed unto man wants to die you couldn't. You, the police. The police and the doctors said that they've never seen ever someone shot fifteen times and live. God's like that bullet goes there. All right, route that one around the heart. All right, that one goes around. I mean, you, you're, only God could do that. It's amazing. But the evil of man, you're not going to stop sinning with us. That's what the gang said, right? We're in Bon Air. A lot of the kids are in gangs there. We're not going to. You're not going to get out. We're in this for the long haul. It's the condition of man. You, you can read the news for any other item in this list, right? You don't have to go far. Take you five minutes, you'll find something for everything on the list. Some aren't vulgar, some aren't immoral, some, are not, uh, some aren't into some of the wickedness that, uh, that, that people would call the really big, big sins. But hey, deep down, even people that don't commit crimes... If they won't come to God are full of idolatry, aren't they? For God made their career, maybe their vehicle, maybe anything, right? Maybe their health and fitness, you know, all kinds of things. People don't have to have much to have an idol. There are always little carved things that they've made themselves. John three nineteen though says, and this is the condemnation that light has come in the world. Jesus uh, speaking. There he was with Nicodemus that night and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus speaking. You don't have to wonder who who, I knew, who mean Jesus said that? Jesus said, look, I want you to understand, Nicodemus, most of the world doesn't want what I bring to the table. Doesn't want what I bring to the table. I bring a complete change out of darkness into light but most people don't want that. They would prefer to stay in utter darkness where there's sin, where there's misery, and the world loves darkness. But Jesus came nonetheless. And this is where Paul goes on to say in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The whole world's under the law, whether they know it or not. Amen? Now, if you go to Israel like we were, and you look at the Western Wall, the Orthodox Jews that are standing there and putting their prayer in the cracks, and, and, and uh, back and forth, there's a kind of a rocking that they do for certain prayers. They know they're under the law. They actually believe they must follow it to the letter. Right? Then you have everybody else who's under the law that doesn't know they're under the law, doesn't even know there is a law, other than maybe the law of their own country, which in some cases, like our country, most of them were originally built off the Ten Commandments, which is the original, the law of God. Of course, it was already known, even before God gave the Ten Commandments, we see some of the elements of the law back in Genesis, given to Noah right off, coming off the ark, but the law, all man is under the law. Why? That every mouth would be stopped. That's why Jesus, when he did come to the rich young ruler, or the rich young ruler came to him, what did Jesus point him to? The law and said, look, you think, I, I perceive you think you're a good, good man. So I want to say, let's hold up the law. How are you doing? Oh, I kept the law. Aced them. All right, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Ah, you have a problem with commandment number one and ten, I see. Right? covetousness you're not doing real well on, and you can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, so number one and 10 Look, like you've got some of the middle ones down. You haven't murdered anybody, you've never committed adultery, you're pretty honest, but you have a real problem with one and ten, and by the way, if you're guilty of one and ten, you're guilty of them all. Of course, Jesus didn't say that. He let him walk away and go figure that out or the Holy Spirit <laughs> to convict him of that. But that's what Jesus was. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to him. Without a lot of times, great teaching is not to give people the answer. As those of you that are teachers, you know sometimes it's good not to give the answer because it it becomes self explanatory. So instead, you give them something that is the answer without the words. Say, "All right, go sell everything." Uh, I don't love you that much. <laughs> I was hoping that you were going to go tell me to just uh, do a prayer or two, and I'd be done. But the law points out where we're really at. You wouldn't know you're speeding unless there was a sign that said 55 and you look at your speedometer, you're going 75. And a lot of times you can do that and you still, it just doesn't really register because your eye kind of glanced, saw a white sign. You couldn't remember if it said 65 or 55. You are going too fast. But then a police car pulls out and all of a sudden you don't care if it said 55 or 65, you go you're, you've become enlightened to the law, right? A bright light showed you what the law actually meant and where you were actually at, and that's why Psalm nineteen seven says, "The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul." The testimony, of the Lord is sure. We point people to the law a lot of times. I, in witnessing to people, say, "Look, you can." Uh, you know, Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron and those Living Waters they use this quite often. You ask people, "Look, if you ever." Have you ever told a lie? Just something simple. Have you ever told a lie? And they'll say, yeah, of course I have. Who hasn't? You say, okay, all right. We can stop there, or you can actually add a few more, but say, let's just stop there. Do you know what God's standard is? Uh, do, do your goods outweigh your bet? No, that's not God's standard. That may be somebody's standard. God's standard is absolute, utter, perfect perfection. Right? So I don't care if I, you know, if I gave you a gallon of uh, fresh milk and I say, I only put one drop of our toilet water in it or only one drop of arsenic in it. That's all. It's pretty good other than that. You're probably not going to drink it. Because you want utter perfection when you drink that glass of milk, don't you? Well, God, he will not accept anything less than utter perfection. And by the way, we'll probably have to cover these last two points next week. But uh, God is not going to accept anything less than perfect, absolute, utter perfection. I know that that bothers a lot of people, doesn't it? But when applied to things that matter to them, they actually do want perfection. Because we're made in the image of God. He's not going to accept anything but perfection. Perfection. So then, we've got a quandary, don't we? Because the very person I'm witnessing to has already said, "Yeah, I've lied," but who hasn't? They've just affirmed what the law. See, the the law, as Paul already wrote, it's, it's unwritten in chapters one and two. Even people that don't know the law know the law. They themselves know everybody lies. So they, they're a law unto themselves. Back in chapter two. They already affirm the law, whether they have ever heard a Ten Commandment. You've seen Ray Comfort out in the streets. It's great. I've even seen, you know, Jay Leno ask people before, hey, do you know any of the Ten Commandments? No one knows. You know, you get all, all down Venice Beach, uh, no, you're not allowed to sleep in. Or, you know, they'll come up with all kinds of things, right? But truly, people, it's in there. The conscience bearing witness of what the law is. Every mouth is stopped. Under the law. Now, not to not to say every mouth is stopped on earth, but guess where every mouth will be stopped? In heaven. When when you get to the great white throne judgment, and God shows everyone their life against his perfect standard, nobody's going to nobody's going to look perfect. Therefore, Paul said in Galatians 3.24, I love this verse. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. You know, once you heard that lying is a sin, you realize the first time you said something that wasn't actually true, that actually is a lie. Right? Did you get out the milk? I don't know why I said milk again, but anyway. I'm not thirsty for milk right now, by the way. Um, No, I didn't get it out. We get this in our house sometimes. There's only three girls. Like, I didn't get it out. None of the three of you got it out. So who got it out, though? Someone isn't telling the truth here. Does that only happen in my house, or do your kids always tell the truth? I'm like, why are we lying about such dumb things? I mean, come on, this this isn't even a big thing. If we can't learn to tell the truth on these things, right? Oh, I forgot. That's a good one once you have. I'll get that, too. But you and I have already aced all these in our own life, haven't we? They didn't learn something new. It's in us to always sow fig leaves for even the dumbest of things, right? Like this isn't even a fig leaves moment. I just want to know. You know, the law is held up. Sheep don't look sheep look pretty white on green grass, but not so white on fresh fallen snow, right? And that's what the law does. Against green grass, they look great. Snowfalls, they look pretty brown, yellow, dirty. Right? Verse 20, as we uh, kind of bring this to a close, given our time tonight, again, we'll cover the compassion and confirmation next week, but uh, in verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Capital H-I-S. No one will stand before the great white throne and say, "I know I didn't ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, but I did the next best thing. I was perfect in the law, because that would be the only other way, wouldn't it?" No one's been able to pull that one off. No one will be able to stand before God and say, "You know, instead of instead of receiving your Son, I decided to mimic His life, perfection." Because the law you gave to Moses, not a single thing. That won't work. Many Jews believe that God would, many of the Jews believe that God would judge Gentiles. But those that were Jewish, that had followed the law, would be spared of God's judgment. Paul ran into this, all the apostles would have run into it. Now Thomas, when he goes out, all the apostles would have run into this where you're going to come to synagogues in cities where many of the Jews were under the belief been that way for hundreds of years that they, and generations all the way since the dispersion they were under the belief that Jews as long as they followed the law would not be judged but Gentiles would be judged that God, they were God's chosen special people and that's true but not because they were perfect in the law. Some some even thought simply being Jewish was all you had. You didn't even have to to be uh, particularly following the law, just being Jewish alone if you were the sons of Abraham. Now, Paul is Jewish, and Paul's saying, look, I hate hate to tell you, that's not going to help you any on Judgment Day. No flesh will be justified in sight by the law is the knowledge of sin. God's going to say, look, you believe so much in the law that I'm going to measure your life by it, right? And we believe the law, too. We're going to get to next week uh, when we come back to this. Uh, Paul affirms in verse 31 that the law doesn't go away. You guys know that, right? The law does not go away. That's why it's really cool when you read the rest of Ezekiel, which I'm just going through in my personal devotion, the end of it, and you see God, in the 1,000-year millennial reign, he brings back the sacrifices. He brings back the atoning blood. The priests do all... I mean, they do it because this time they're going to do it for a 1,000 years correctly. They never made it that long. You realize that in the Old Testament that nowhere in Israel's history did they ever make it anywhere near a 1,000 years of doing it correctly. I didn't say perfect. I just said doing it correctly. In your household, in my home, we have our kids do things we understand correctly. We don't... Not perfect... They won't be perfect, but they'll be doing it correct, right? And, but the law doesn't go away. We'll get to that next week, but you won't be justified by it. Uh, people, I think people, with closing point on this, I think people still kind of think this way. Remember, I said that some Jewish people thought just being Jewish was going to get them a right standing if they met God, died suddenly, they'd be fine because they were Jewish. A lot of people think this today, and they'll say it this way. Well, I was christened. Okay, that's good. I... All right, you were christened. I was baptized. My grandmother was a Christian. Our whole family's been a Christian. Actually, we're all Christians. We're born Christians. Right? This is used to be a common thing in the South. It's less and less because we're a post-Christian, I believe we're a post-Christian society, but uh, you're not born a Christian, and baptism and christening won't help you. Right? We've all met people that were never christened that are much nicer, kinder people than were christened. Right? I'm like, if, some people are like, if that's what christening does, uh, can we really change the whole process? Because... But that's not going to help it. But, but people thought that then, being Jewish, certain households, certain traditions, Paul's like, no, 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 the law will judge your life. But then we're going to get into the, uh, all the good stuff starting in 21. But Paul says, hey, but there is an answer, right? Believing false, slanderous things, not going to help you, right? I believe that, Paul, you said that we could live in it. I didn't say that. And if you want to buy into that, you're going to have problems. Well, then I'll just live by the law. All right, then. Then you still have a problem, right? Well, the Gentiles are the ones that are are God's really going to go after. No, He's going to go after both Jew and Gentile if they've rejected His Son. But then we'll get into next week why Jesus came. And so let's close in prayer.